Welcome to the Best Player Wins podcast, where we believe that winning is winning, no matter by how much or how little. We are your hosts. We have uh, assembled the usual gang and brought back one of the OGs. We've had Eddie in the last few weeks. Uh, and so Sean and I want to welcome Nate back to the podcast. Good to see you, Nate. Ellis, what's going on? Good to be back as always. Get into it. Yeah, Boatwright got all of you in week three, so I'm happy that we will get the, yeah, split the heat a little bit. Uh, all the hot takes that are going to be coming from both sides here, because I've been told by both sides. Bold of you to assume I have hot takes this week. I've been told by both sides. Uh, but uh, it, it's good to have you back, but not such a great fantasy football week. Uh, all we just keep, we reported it last week, but it seems like the big news of the day was injuries. Um, we'll talk about it later, but how are you just feeling about fantasy football? Obviously, your season's going well, Nate, but how are you feeling just about fantasy football in general? <laughs> Yeah, my season's going well, but this this past week was not, unless your name was Kevin or maybe maybe Damon, probably not a fun one to watch. And I sent it to the group, and it got no reaction, not a message, not a like or anything. So I think it may have flown under the radar. But this week, twenty five of I think two teams were on by, so I guess that would make it twenty five out of thirty teams scored twenty one points or fewer. And that's the most teams scoring 21 points or fewer in a game in a single week in the entire history of the National Football League. So regardless of how well my season is going and regardless of the fact that I went 2-0 this week, I do not want to watch another week of football like this past weekend that I was subjected to. I would rather see some very high-octane scoring across the league, both in real life and in fantasy. I think it's a lot more fun when there's players popping off left and right yeah i i will say so i the only game i watched this weekend because we have a whole lot of time was the Bengals and seattle game because it just happened to be the local broadcast and watching the seattle offense stall in the red zone every single drive was physically painful for me (laughs) like i was bored out of my mind because it was just ugly football I thought it was going to be, it was shaping up for my team in particular to be a really good day because Joe Burrow threw for two first first half touchdowns. And I thought, all right, I got prime Joe Burrow. He's back. (laughs) And and then that game just stalled out in terms of offense, at least on the Cincinnati side. So yeah, it just turned out to be a real stinker of a day for everybody. Somehow dodged. It somehow dodged to be the guys you owned. Yeah, throws <laughs> them like, to Tyler Boyd and then tell me his last I, name. I so <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so if I don't yeah. own him, he's not relevant. If it's the Cincinnati <laughs> exactly. Bengals, he's the rookie out of uh oh man, they said it like a thousand times. One of those Ivy League schools. Regardless, that'll be the best game of the season for him. <laughs> yeah, but right. Let's let's jump on to some positives. Let's uh, go through the fantasy headlines real quick. Uh, first thing, while there were some struggles, there were some running backs who showed some, you know, some big games, some strong games, especially some that were drafted in lower draft positions. Um, Travis Etienne puts up twenty three. Raheem Mostert again, that Miami offense putting up thirty four. He was drafted in the tenth round. Kyron Williams putting up twenty one. He was drafted in the eighteenth. Um, so I think. The question for me, considering those guys, you know, um, considering the lack of production at a lot of high-end RBs, um, do you think that this is a trend that we'll see where some of these guys who may have first, second, you know, round draft picks 
are we are they still going to continue to struggle or will they actually live up to some of their ADP and will this affect drafting next year and so on and so forth? So I, in preparation for this question, actually went to our draft recap just to see who were the first running backs off the board. And I don't know if you guys talked about this. I don't remember you guys talking about it. And I feel like if it wasn't talked about, I'm kind of surprised. But I'm just now recounting that only four total running backs were taken in the first two rounds. So in the first 25 picks, only four of them were from the running back position. And I think that in and of itself is a revolutionary trend for our league. I'm not looking at prior year draft recap history. But that has to be, like, I would put money on it, that that has to be the lowest amount of running backs to go in the first 25, not even 20, the first two rounds alone, but even in the first first pick of the third round. So you get the 25 picks out of that. Only four running backs went. And the four that went were Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson, Christian McCaffrey. I'm naming them out of order, but Austin Eckler, Bijan Robinson, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. Those four guys, especially now that Eckler and Barkley seem to be healthy, I do not have any concerns over. So to answer your CMC? question, to... okay, CMC, yeah, I named him third. So Sorry, obviously didn't did. name those guys in order. Okay, but yeah, I think that's <clears> to kind answer, of what I'm alluding to honestly, yeah, well, to answer your question, I guess directly, if we're talking the first two rounds, do I have worries of of those guys not providing value? No, I actually don't worry about any of those guys. Now, if you were a little bit more expansive and went to the third and fourth rounds, sure, you have worries that, like Derrick Henry, he's on my team. There's concerns over his workload and in the split with Ty J Spears. Jameer Gibbs was drafted in the third round. I think that it's very clear that even though Montgomery's out, that Jameer Gibbs is not going to be a workhorse at any point this season. Najee Harris, who I picked in the fourth round, I don't think anybody has hope for him returning fourth round value this year. So I think it depends on how you define the highly valued, the early draft pick running backs. If you're just going the first two rounds, no, I don't have any concerns. If you expand that to the first four rounds, sure. I think that you can make a very strong argument that the late round running backs are going to be more valuable. I think it's easier to live up to late round value too. Like without, like obviously that's kind of no shit. And we're talking about these guys because they score what would probably like be an early, like, you would be taking them in the first four rounds with some of these with some of these scorings, right? You might take somebody like Kyron above Derrick Henry if if you could go back and look at like the season as a whole. Um, but I, I tend to agree with you. I, I don't I'm think not... I would, by the way. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just jumping in. I'm I'm I, just just for just for devil's advocate's sake, I would still take Derrick Henry over Kyron Williams. I mean, I think that 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 gets into what I was. You know what? That's fine. However you would do it, you are better at fantasy than me, so I'll just defer to that. Um, the point that I'm getting at is ultimately that, like, these middle-round guys like Ramondre Stevenson who or Rashad White, who are kind of like the top picks of the not high, like, not sock, sock one, Sa- Saquon and Eckler and all them, they've just been kind of poopy, and I don't expect that to get better, to be honest with you. So. You think Eckler and, and Barkley are in trouble for the rest of the year? No, no, no. I'm saying I don't think. I'm saying not. Oh, that, oh, oh. That next level of guy. The like, third, fourth, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. They've all been Understood. bad, and then you're like, you got to think like the third, fourth, fifth, sixth round guy outside of Derrick Henry, who I am not overly concerned about. I know that there is like a narrative that he is in danger of like being overtaken by Tajay Spears and stuff, but I, I 
I don't know. I, I, I don't see a lot of concern there for me. Um, but I think the biggest threat to Derrick Henry is not Ty J Spears. I think it's Malik Willis. Well, yes, <laughs> that's or a I should say argument. it's Ryan Tannehill's ankle, right? Because there's right. no there's no pass to protect against. Yes, if if the quarterback uh, can't throw the but football. The point ultimately, <laughs> I'm getting at is like those middle round running backs, kind of that RB wasteland that people like to talk about. If you grabbed a guy there, you're probably disappointed in his performance. Um, and then the All right, so let me let me let me throw the question back at you, Cal's, mm-hmm. and, and frame it in a different way. These guys that you listed: Mostert, Kyron Williams. Uh, you could say Swift. He was like a I'm, I'll call him a middle round pick. Yeah. I think Swift. More obviously, people are bought into the talent and ready to value him as a top eight running back. Firmly, mm-hmm. I would say most people are bought into that. But guys like Mostert, who you hear if you listen to fantasy football podcasts, like national podcasts, everybody always says, "Oh, Mostert's third. You know, everybody recognizes that he's having an awesome season, but they always mention, "But he's thirty-one, and, and they got Devon Achan in a couple weeks, and Jeff Wilson's coming back." And for Kyron Williams, they say, "Well, he's getting so many touches. You got to love that as a fantasy manager." But it's not the talent; it's the opportunities that he's getting. So, with those concerns that always seem to come up on these podcasts. Let me frame these guys against some of these early running back picks. Would you rather have Raheem Mostert or Josh Jacobs rest of season? Uh, I wouldn't get cute. I'd take Mostert. I I think uh, yeah. I, I thought I, you were going to say the opposite. I wouldn't yeah, get cute. I would take the better talent. Phrases the cute, but I, <laughs> no, I will also... cute is is like what I mean by that is I'm not going to outthink what is happening in fantasy right now, which is. Raheem Mostert is like RB2 on the year and he's scoring mm-hmm. touchdowns out the asshole. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, well, Jacobs has upside. We're at a point where you need points. and mm-hmm. Not you, but like people need yeah. points. And- <laughs> yeah, I do. Let's, don't, <laughs> love, don't fuck around. I need points. <laughs> Mostert, <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, I would agree with him. But yeah, I, I am more and more framing my own fantasy. Uh, like my fantasy outlook is... I don't care what you did last year and I don't care what you were drafted at. What are you performing this year? And it, sure. I think, I know that this year is very much an outlier. We've had a lot of like duds put up just variants all over the place. So, you know, it's hard to go back and pull from, cause you know, last year Jacobs was what non PPR RB one, like RB four, three in PPR. I think he was um, the RB one last year. Yeah, I think in non-PPR leagues. I think in PPR. I think or in P- PPR. Eckler, it was Eckler in PPR, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Um, but in non-PPR. But regardless, he's a top three you know, guy. But that offense has changed. Quarterback changed. They lost guys on the line. Like, there's so many things that, like, there's so much that changed at that that Raheem's showing it to me. And, yeah, I, 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 I'm afraid if, you know, I have I have uh, Mostert in the keeper league. And I'm afraid if. A-chan comes back with that, does them and all that other stuff, but I'm still going to ride with him because, right. and, and I wouldn't trade him. If someone just came to me and offered like maybe a, look, Josh Jacobs is the other guy in that league, but Josh, a Josh Jacobs straight up right now, I don't think I'd take that deal. That's okay. Let me, let me, let me frame one more. Yeah. I'll do, I'll do one with Kyron Williams this time. And I have to give some context that if we knew he was going to be back in week five, I think that Jonathan Taylor would have been drafted probably a round or two earlier than he actually was, which was in round six, the very end of round six. I would guess that he would probably have been drafted at late round three, early round four range if we had certainty at the beginning of the season that he'd be back week five. 
So that context to set the table on this question, would you rather have Kyron Williams or Jonathan Taylor rest of season? Yeah, I'll say the same thing I said. Like, why get cute? Kyron Williams has put up like 120-some points already on the year, and Jonathan Taylor's workload isn't even ramping up yet. Uh, You'd still be better off starting. Let me phrase that. The last two weeks, if you started Jonathan Taylor over Zach Moss, you made the wrong choice, basically. Right. So I agree with that. We're now at week six. That's what halfway through the season, basically. If you're banking on that, like saving your season, I, like I, I'll just take Kyron every time. What do you think, Cal's? Yeah, I I think that, but again, I think it's different for weeks. I I think this question comes down to like, what is their raw talent as a player on the field and the points that they can that they should produce you as a fantasy asset versus all of the other situational stuff that fantasy managers have to take into account. So, yeah, like he said, Zach Moss, and now that Anthony Richardson's gone, well, that's a boon for, for you know, somebody. Hasn't for, been confirmed yet. <laughs> at least four yeah, or six weeks. <laughs> you changed your name, okay? Opium. <laughs> Jimmy Ursay was like, he's not yeah, playing that, yeah. so I'm just assuming. <laughs> uh, but to that point, yeah, I, I think I, I take the hot hand. I take the guy who is shown to have the production, shown to get the touches, because you're right, he, Jonathan Taylor could come back and be the guy he was two, three years ago, right? When he was RB1 overall, except in week 11 when it's Zach Moss. And like, because that, that offense has just shown that they will ride the guy who's running the ball. And yeah, they're going to ramp him up slowly, but still, you know, uh, I'd rather take the guy who's proven it this season, I think is, is the mentality I have right now. Yeah. And I can't you- say you guys are wrong in philosophy, but I will say that I disagree with both of the, of the choices. Uh, in terms of you guys took Mostert over Jacobs and, and Kyron over uh, over JT. I would take the other side on both of those. And really, it comes down to me, comes down to, for me, the fact that it's week seven. Uh, if it was week 11, I think I would agree with you guys wholeheartedly. I'm more of a, when the sample size is large enough, which I don't know that there's a way to quantify that, for me, I still feel like it's large enough from this point to the end of the fantasy season that I'll still bet on talent over production. Now, that's contextual because if you gave me another comparison, say at the wide receiver position or let's say at the tight end position, I just made a trade actually that would contradict my stance right now. Sam Laporta is a rookie with six total games under his belt. Darren Waller has been a stud for multiple seasons over the past four years in in fantasy. I just made a bet on the hot hand, if you will, over the proven commodity. So I think it's all context related, but in the case of framing it to the running back position, like you asked originally, uh, Sean Mm -hmm. Cowles, I, I, I think that the highly valued running backs for the most part, like those, those drafted in the first three rounds, I'm not, too worried about them with the exception of Jameer Gibbs who we found out probably in week two that he was not going to be what we thought he was going to be I think I think the thing with where where I come from is like I actually just saw something today and I'd have to look it up so I apologize I don't have it off to my head but like Tyron Williams has one of the most disproportionately positive yards over expected on every one of his carries so like he is outrunning what his expected yards is on every single carry. So, like, I think that the problem becomes, and, and 
I think I alluded to this in a previous podcast, like when do you accept that that new guy is actually talented and it's not just a situation of, of like circumstance, right? Uh, is Kyron Williams going to be a future feature back within the league? I would, my bet would be yes. I bet next year we're talking about taking Kyron earlier, not to be clear, not in like round one or two, but like round three or four, because he is more talented than we give credit for. And it's the inability of managers, I'm not saying you're doing this, but like the fantasy community as a whole to accept that these new guys are talented and will eventually supplant who is the previous like talented players. Running back is also true. And I, I don't want to hold this yeah. podcast up on this point too much. But the last thing I'll say on it is that I think that running back is treated a little bit differently from other positions in that. Yeah. Even mid-level running backs, if there is the perception that they're going to get a lot of opportunities to produce, i.e. a lot of touches, then they'll be lifted or elevated to, like, say, fourth or fifth round just by nature of attrition of the position. There's Mm -hmm. no more than 24, and that's probably being generous, probably more like 18 to 20, that you will be able to rely on week in and week out throughout the season. So even yep. even if I truly believed that Kyron Williams was a mid-level, t- like a just not a special talent, if I had reason to believe that he would get the lion's share of touches, say 20-plus per game next year, yeah, I think that it would totally make sense to justify spending a fourth or fifth round pick on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, that... You know, we we change our perception of the year. We have to, you know, we we think we know a whole lot at the draft, and then we get told what we actually, you know, don't know. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, but if you know, so we'll see if that production continues. But you know, looking at other guys with some other big production this week, uh, the Sun God Amon Ross St. Brown puts up thirty. Tyreek Hill puts up twenty eight. Cooper Cup returning from uh, injury the second week back uh, puts up twenty seven. I specifically want to look at Tyreek Hill because he's just I mean, we, we know what kind of freak athlete he is and, and what he does on the fantasy side, but he has a hundred, or excuse me, 814 receiving yards this season, second most uh, through a team's first four games in NFL history behind Don Hudson in 1942. That's more than 11 teams' entire receiving cores this season. Yeah, I think it continues. <laughs> I Once again, I don't, I don't, Tyreek is a monster too, is playing out of his mind. The whole Miami offense mm-hmm. is playing out of its mind. Like, what are you going to do, you know? Yeah. So to that point, can all three of these kind of stud wide receivers sustain this top level, this 25-point average production in, in your estimation? What about you, Nate? I, I don't, and it's not because I don't love the talent. I do love the talent for Sun God, but I don't think that he belongs in this tier quite yet. Mm-hmm. I think that there are four healthy wide receivers who can sustain 22 points per game mm-hmm. for the rest of the season. Five if you include Justin Jefferson. Sure. The other four being Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, and Stephon Diggs. And I think that three of those four, Diggs, Hill, Cup, can do it in a way that they're going to give you... Maybe maybe Hill is a little bit of an exception because he does have that super uh, super upside potential of 40-plus. Yeah. But I think... What what I'm really trying to get at is that I think Jamar Chase is an exception within this group where I don't think that he's going to give me 20-plus points each week. 
I think it's going to be more like he'll give me 15 points a couple weeks, and then he'll give me a 45-point game. And it will all work out in the end to be a 22-point-per-game average. Whereas I think that the other three will steadily give you over 20 points each game. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think we kind of all fall on the same line. It is interesting because Amon Ra was kind of pegged as the breakout wide receiver, the guy to step up to that tier this year. He had all the opportunity. Jared Goff just throws the ball around and, and you know. Well, I think the bigger problem with, God, with Sun God, Amon Ra, is that Mont, like, Montgomery is taking valuable touches and Laporta is taking valuable touches. In the right. red zone, if they're passing the ball, it's going to Laporta nine times out of ten. If they're running the ball, they're within, let's say, 10 yards because as soon as they get in there, they're just like, all right, we're going to let our, our O-line push them back and just let Montgomery walk into the end zone. Monty's hurt. I think you've got three weeks of really good – well, two weeks into the bye. Two weeks of really good performance out of Amon Ra, and then we're going to hit after the bye. Hopefully that's when projected Monty comes back. You're going to see Amon Ra kind of dip back down. Not, not that he's not talented, but he just won't be putting up 30 points a week. Is my perspective. Nate, do you tend to agree? Yeah, I mean, I like Amon Ross St. Brown. I think that he can be... I'll even call him 2A. I don't think that he belongs in the same tier with these guys. I don't sure. think that there is a uh, bolded line between him and these guys, but I do think that there is some kind of line between him and these guys. I think that Amon Ra is good enough that there's that he should almost be in like a second tier of his own. Um I don't know that with Montgomery on the field that Goff throws the ball enough for him to be in the same tier as these guys because he's not the big play wide receiver like Tyreek Hill and Jamar Chase are. He's more of the volume guy like Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. And with Montgomery on the field I just don't think that the Lions game plan to throw the ball enough for him to produce like Cooper Cup and like Justin Jefferson or or Stephon Diggs is another good example who I named yeah. earlier. I also think they have, for lack of a better phrasing, and, and I, I, I even hesitate to put Cup in this category this year at least, but like outside of... Jefferson, like, who is their really great targets? Addison has been fine if he gets in the end zone, but he's even not seeing, like, the same amount of snaps as other guys on their team, right? So, like, Jefferson gets fed the ball. Um, Cooper Cup is still getting fed the ball 15 times a game. Like, what What are you going to do? Like, I guess what I'm getting at is the Lions don't need to just feed it Hyman Raw 20 catches a game to, to win because they have enough talent elsewhere to spread the ball around I agree. Yeah, I would also tend to agree. So I think with that, let's let's talk about the the painful topic of the week. Um, the injury bug just continues to roll on. We had a bunch of big ones last week. I know, but right, your your hurt quarterback as unfortunately looks like it's going to be the rest of the season for uh, Anthony Richardson. But we had CMC that awful injury to um, yeah, abbreviated, but I can't think of his name. Uh, uh, Buffalo running back. Oh, Damian uh, Harris. Damian Harris. Uh, that that looked bad, but we seemingly reports are saying he's better off. Jimmy Garoppolo, Montgomery, as we were just talking, Baker Mayfield, Kyron Williams, Justin Fields, 
all going down with certain levels, different severities of injuries. Some guys might see the field this week. But with that in mind, for you know each respective player, what injury do you see as the most impactful coming into week seven? Well, it's uh, got to be Damian Harris. Well, I guess it depends on like, yeah. Um, I'm killing him. Devastated. I'm out. I'm just throwing the season. It's got to be CMC. And here's my concern. I saw reports from Shanahan that like, it's just pain management. And my concern there is that they're not going to like rest him when they don't really need him. And they're just going to wear him down more. Like you could rest him. I think there are buys in three weeks, right? You could rest him two weeks, ride the hot hand with, or not the hot hand, but ride Elijah Mitchell into your bye week. Let Cup get healthy and then come back strong for the playoffs. Is or not Cup, um, CMC. Come back strong for the playoffs. That's what I would do. I'm not an NFL coach though, so this is a really interesting hodgepodge of injuries because not to play the man in the middle, but really just to give some color to the potential impact and ramifications of of these specific players' injuries. I think that you could make an argument. Uh, in a number of different ways. Christian McCaffrey is the best player in fantasy football, so obviously any missed time for him will be very impactful for Kevin. Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously not super relevant on his own merits. I think Kyron dropped him last week, so he's not even being started even before the injury. But Jacoby Myers is having a huge breakout season, and that's obviously due in part to Jimmy Garoppolo giving him so many looks. Josh Jacobs, I think, has the number one target share among running backs coming into this past weekend. Brian Hoyer, or who was it, Aiden McConnell, was their rookie quarterback, takes Mm -hmm. over for any length of time. I wonder how that changes the dynamic for the pass catchers in that offense. And Josh Jacobs hasn't been good on the ground this year. I can't imagine that worse quarterback play is going to help that. David Montgomery has obviously been a huge part of Boatwright's rise through the standings. If he's out for a month, I think their bye week is, what, week nine? Do you know that off the top? Okay, so it is week nine. If he is out through bye, I'll miss him three weeks. Yeah, if he's out through the bye, I think that you could see a big uh, stalwart to Boatwright's rise through the standings. I mean, that's just really unfortunate timing because basically Anthony Richardson's injury just happened last week, so... Those two are huge losses at at a time when Sean was really rising up the standings. Kyron Williams, I'm not going to make the argument that he's super impactful, but I think for Eddie in particular, with only a two-game lead sitting in that number two overall spot in the standings, I think that he didn't really... He couldn't have a lot go wrong if he wanted to hold on to the bye. So you'll hear my power rankings later this episode. Eddie is... Firmly outside of my top three, and I think that if Kyron is gone for more than a week, I think he's going to have a really tough time actually having a shot at that ultimate first-round bye in the playoffs. And Justin Fields. Jake is having a tough time, barely hanging on. I believe he's a 500 team so far this year, and Fields is a guy that he really needed to kind of be a rock for his team. And obviously, if he's going to be out for multiple weeks, which is the read that I have on the situation because he can't even grip the football correctly, yeah. Uh, that's going to be tough for Jake, who's sitting in the sixth spot right now at a 500 record to really hang around. Not for nothing, I saw four to six weeks on the fields. It's like what? Yeah, people... I think Dak Prescott had a similar injury last year, and he missed he missed uh, a similar amount of time, I believe. Yeah, yeah, I think I tend to agree. Looking at that, the fields analysis is pretty much why I would present why to me it's the most impactful. Again, you made valid points for for each one, I think. 
uh, uh, but looking at how it impacts our fantasy standings and our fantasy outlook, Jake is in that that cutoff spot, right? He is fighting for that last playoff spot. Um, not in it right now, I believe, or if he is, he's tied right outside of it. And to lose, like you said, your 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 stalwart guy, a guy everyone thought was going to have an up year for you know four to six weeks, and to have to play waiver wire quarterback, you know, bingo. I think for me that that's that's why that one stands out a little bit. And yeah. I think if you were to put a gun to my head, I would choose Justin Fields among this list of of the most impactful as well. Jake's in the number six spot, so he is in right now, in right but now. barely hanging on, and and with not much help on the way in terms of healthy guys. <laughs> We'll see. All right. Well, let's keep uh, let's keep it rolling here. Let's move on to a topic. I know two of you two gentlemen both vastly enjoy, and I should set aside at least 40 minutes of this podcast for this analysis here, but uh, we'll talk about <laughs> the trades. I think a lot of these ended up, you know, building to what I, I can just the grin on, the shitting grin on Nate's <laughs> face, <laughs> what we'll talk about last, that 11-man trade. Um, but let's jump into the first one. Bo Ray, why don't you give me thoughts on the knee on the trade that Max and Nick started us off with earlier in the week? Yeah, it's uh, Joe Breezy for Max received Joe Burrow, Nick receives JJ and Christian Watson. I think it's fine. I mean, I was ha- like, I if I was moving a quarterback that I was confident in, like let's say Richardson, like this is a package that I would be happy getting. Um, I have my own feelings on JJ like this year. Um, I don't really want to go into them a whole lot because I think it's just beating a dead horse. I like Christian Watson. My biggest concern with him is is love. So um, I, I don't have an issue with this. I think it's fine. I think I'm happy with either side, though. Nate? I am not happy with either side of this trade. I think that Max really got away with one here. I think that Nick made a mistake in making this trade, not just because of the conjecture that's out there with Justin Jefferson potentially being shut down for the season or at least being slow to get back if the Vikings don't start winning games. Uh, but I think that, that I guess, has a part to do with it. But the, the main thing for me is the discourse that, that Boatwright has been very vocal about this season, which I tend to agree with, that the most foundational thing for a successful team in our particular league is stability in the quarterback room. And I think that Joe Burrow, regardless of the fact that he's been hurt and underperforming to this point in the season, uh, I think that Max in this trade, now obviously he doesn't have Burrow anymore. We'll get to that here in probably 10 or 15 minutes. But at the time of this trade, I thought that Joe Burrow had his best game of the season. So I think that there was reason to believe that if he wasn't fully back, he was on. He was well on his way to being back. I think that Max not only stabilized his roster in part with this move, but he also captured the upside that a talent like Justin Jefferson gives you anyway. And then on Nick's side, the reason why I say, I, I say that I think it's a mistake is that Nick himself is 6-6. Six and six. He's not really in a position like, say, myself or Eddie or Damon are in, where even if things go sideways because he gave up a little bit now to get a lot more later, he doesn't really have a lot of wiggle room in terms of the standings to move down and then really receive the benefit of a prime playoff position by getting a healthy Justin Jefferson back at that point. Now, I understand Nick is taking the gamble here that it's going to pay off for him, 
and I can I I I generally applaud taking a little bit of a gamble if you believe that it's going to make your team better. Uh, I don't necessarily think that you need a guaranteed win to be able to pull the trigger on a trade, but I just felt like I would have expected this move from a top team currently in the standings rather than a guy sitting at 500 and i think that max did very well for himself in this trade and i'll say one more thing by the way before this trade happened max offered me what essentially amounted to justin jefferson for brock purdy straight up and i declined so i was a team sitting at nine and one and was essentially offered the same deal for what i would say is less because i do still value burrow over purdy and i turned it down that should tell you what I think about this trade. Yeah, I so for what it's worth, like generally I agree with you, Nate. Like when you add the context in, um, like to our league and our situation, I int- like when Max said he was open to moving JJ, I did my due diligence on like if I thought that was make sense, but I felt I was not in a position to to sit four weeks on JJ. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I generally agree with your assessment of the situation. Um, for what it's worth. Yeah, I, I don't know if I initially had that take going in and maybe with more perspective and as things have changed, we saw Burrow have a good week. But when I went back to start prepping for the podcast and looking over the street, I kind of came to the same conclusion you were Nate, that I really prefer what what Max was able to do there. Uh, and obviously he continued to make more moves, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, I think for that trade, that's where I fall as well. But looking at the next trade, Nick keeps on trading uh nick receives drake london from scott who receives christian watson one of the pieces he had just picked up nate what did you what did you take from this trade then and what do you take from it now i'll be more brief with this one i thought that this was a pretty even swap at the time i was just ever so slightly confused as to why scott would be trading for a guy that was on buy and trading away a guy that seemed to be now obviously this past week's game post this trade happening solidified this uh takeaway but there was a little bit of a semblance of it before the trade happened that drake london seemed to be on the ups with the falcons offense making him more of a feature uh so i was intrigued by the timing of the trade with scott dealing away drake london and specifically for watson who was on buy but overall if you take the names out of it and if you take the fact that one of them was on buy and one of them was not I thought that this was an even swap. Sure. Yeah, so this is actually the type of trade I hate making as a manager. Generally speaking, I turn down one-for-one one swaps because I don't think that there's a whole lot of value in doing them for the most part. Obviously, there are outliers, and maybe this turns out good, but I don't see any value in swapping a guy just to swap a guy. And maybe they had their reasons, and that's fine. You know what I mean? Maybe Scott wanted to take on the buy. Like I, I don't know. Right, they're, they're deeper thought. Just personally, I will not generally do a one-to-one, what I call one-to-one positional swap, right? So that's a wide receiver for a wide receiver of the same tier and value, right? If I need an RB and Nate's like, hey, I'll give you, you know, let's just make up names, Monty for Christian Watson. Yeah, <laughs> sure, I'll swap a wide receiver for an RB if that is a need, but I, I don't see a whole lot of value in swapping wide receiver for wide receiver for nothing. So, like, I don't have a problem with this trade. I, as a manager, would probably not make this trade. Yeah, I I tend to agree that I, 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 trading sometimes just for the sake of trading. Um, now, maybe you prefer a guy. 
my my motto is always get your guys right like it, you ever the entire league might think it's crazy that you prefer x over y but if that's your deal go get it um yeah i i i, I looked when i saw that watson was on by this week or what level was last week um i kind of had the same balk at it because scott and is in that same tier that i'm in and jason where we're kind of at that bottom tier kind of you know needing to pick up a couple of two and a weeks and can't really afford to give up a week or two anywhere. So, yeah, um, I think I kind of fall in line with you again on this one, Nate. Um, I will else? say I will say for Scott that I bet that he was probably tired of rostering Drake London. <laughs> he was probably a guy that he didn't necessarily want to take on back when he got him from Max and was probably just made up his mind at some point that he was going to deal London away if he had the opportunity. So that probably or maybe could have played a part in this deal, sure. but who yeah. knows? You know, and if people would come on the podcast, they could tell us what they thought when they made trades. Not the other, to pull like Yeah, that. Scott, you did great on the podcast a couple of years ago. You should, you should come back oh, on yeah. with this test. The other thought there is Scott is really exposed to New Orleans, and he's in a win now. If he thought that he could cover the buy, this will help him have pieces on New Orleans' bye week. Because I think he's got Olave, Michael Thomas, and Alvin Kamara all on, on New all Orleans. Rostered. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Jamal Williams, I think, is in his IR. Probably. Uh, my IR. Yeah, oh, your so. IR. My bad. He has, um, <laughs> he has the other. Kendra Miller, I think, is the oh, other okay. running back go. that he has from the Saints. Yeah. All right. Let's finish up the trifecta of Nick trades here. Nick receives Austin Eckler from Kyron, sending away James Conner, Ramondre Stevens, and CJ Stroud. Um, I don't know. All right. Thoughts. I, I kind of made my thoughts known in the group chat. I, I'll i reiterate them for the, the sake of the podcast. Generally, I thought that this was fairly even. I think that Nate got the better side by a little Nick. bit. Nick, I'm not, I, I did not make this trade. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking this is the third trade. My no, bad. No. <laughs> um, oh. It is. Yeah, it's, it's Nick. <laughs> no, okay. I'm sorry. I thought this was the big one with, that you made, Nate. And I was looking at the <laughs> no, big one. Not there yet. Not there yet. Sorry. Um, Nick receives Austin Eckler. Kyron receives James Conner, Ramondre. Mm-hmm. Um, and CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud. Oh, I didn't see that one. This yet. was this, this was, was finalized. finalizing the sending away of Nate's QB Nick's QB room. Right. Right. Um, Eckler is a good player. I would not have have made this move. Um, I don't want to beat the dead horse because I beat it enough in the chat still. But the the basic of my point is that I will take stability in the quarterback room over the uncertainty of starting Desmond Ritter and Derek Derek Carr every week. (laughs) Granted, they outscored, to, to Nate's point, Nick's point, they outscored Baker Mayfield. I think that is my point, right? Like, if I was starting Burrow and CJ Stroud, I'm comfortable knowing they're probably going to fifteen put up fifteen at least fifteen points for me every single week. I don't feel that way starting Baker Mayfield or Derek Carr or Desmond Ritter. Right? Desmond Ritter threw three picks. Um, if he didn't throw those touchdowns, he would be you'd be in a really bad spot this week. Right? Like, and that's ultimately my point. It's not so much that. On any given week, they are not going to score more or higher than some of the top performers. It's that I don't trust them to do that week in and week out, which is what I want out of my quarterback room. There are only 32 starting quarterbacks in the league. The league starts 24 of them. That means the eight that are left 
the league generally thinks are the eight worst fantasy quarterbacks in football. It's really what it boils down to for me. Yep. I never want to start a bottom eight guy. Why would I want to do it in um in a quarterback? Both of your spots. Less, like you Nick know. is. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Uh Austin Eckler is the best player in the trade. I voiced mm-hmm. earlier on the podcast that I have no concerns for him for the rest of the season, and yet mm-hmm. I would rather have, in Kyron's position, I would rather have the, the trio of players that he got than Austin mm-hmm. Eckler. And I told Nick after he made this trade, because him and I generally will shoot a couple texts back and forth when, yeah. when a, a larger trade is made by one or both of us, and I told him, like, I understand the math behind it. If four weeks from now you have a healthy Austin Eckler and a healthy Justin Jefferson in your lineup, those two effectively give you the same numbers as two top five to seven quarterbacks. And if you have two bottom 10 quarterbacks or two bottom 12 quarterbacks, they should still give you 12 to 14 points a game, which you would be happy to get from flex level players. So I understand that the math works out to like Eckler and Jefferson could give you QB five to seven numbers and your two shitter QB quarterbacks or shitter QBs can give you flex level numbers that you'd be happy to get from flex level players. Like I get that the math works out there. I like like Boatwright do not like sourcing the bulk of my points outside of the QB room because I think it introduces instability. And case in point, even though Nick was able to pick up the head-to-head win, Austin Eckler scored 10 points last night. Like, yeah, he's a great player, but he's still susceptible to those games where he might score 9 points, 10 points, 11 points. I would rather get the down game from a top quarterback like I did with Burrow where he still gave me 14 points. It's small potatoes, but it's just I prefer to source the bulk of my production given the trade-off from my quarterback room rather than from a running back or a wide receiver or a tight end because I think that the opportunities to produce are less guaranteed outside of the quarterback room. Yeah, I think we all tend to follow that same philosophy. I mean, Bo Wright and I went one-two quarterback-quarterback to start the draft. Um, I, I think to that point it shows where we value the position, especially getting high floor, uh, you know, and even higher ceilings out of the elite level guys. That being said, there is a version of this where if you can move those top level quarterbacks and get elite talent, we're talking about JJ, we're talking about Austin Eckler. If you can fill those positions, then, then maybe the math swings in your favor. I'm just not necessarily sure Nick's in a position and possesses the roster to do that. Um, he's kind of made his moves at this point and he's going to kind of have to sit with who he sits with or make another trade to like even out on a quarterback and maybe give up an elite guy for a, you know, a, a third round or a fourth round guy. We'll see. Uh, like you said, four weeks from now, they all come back and they're all producing at elite levels and then we'll have to eat crow and, and good for, for, for Nick, if he pulls that off genuinely, um, because, you know, I, I enjoy whenever, you know, the, I enjoy whenever anyone's gamble pays off, even if it's against me. Um, even, you know, I had that week I enjoy. So, you know, we'll see. But I, I don't know. I, I think all of us, unfortunately, Bill Ray had to take a step up, take a call. But 
I think all of us tend to kind of fall on that side of the deal. Like, given the current reality of the league and each given situation, I prefer the Kyron side of the deal. Which I'll say one thing in Nick's favor is that mm-hmm. in theory, if you have to pick a quarterback off the waiver, there's just a baseline level of production that by nature of the position that they play quarterback, that they're going to guarantee some production in your fantasy lineup. Whereas with a position like running back, if you go pick up a guy on the off of waivers today, there's uh-huh. a chance that he puts up 1.3 points in your lineup. Yeah. A quarterback is not going to do that to you unless he has one of the bottom five worst games of a quarterback in the entire league for the entire season. So there is something to be said there that that, that production is much harder to find from the position that he traded for off of waivers than the one that he traded away or I guess, one of yeah. the positions that he traded away. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And especially given the format we play in, right, there's always that availability. If you try to go and pull even a six point or seven point usable running back or wide receiver off of waivers, unless it's waiver wire day and some guy popped off. Good luck. <laughs> good right. luck. But right. that's there for the quarterback. Unless you're me, I've quality. been pulling production off of waivers all season, baby. Well, yeah, and you've been benching it. Come on, just, just start <laughs> those guys. <laughs> Are we still talking about this trade? Yes, we were. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, but for you, we were we'll partially filibustering so that you wouldn't miss any of the yeah. action for oh, the okay. next deal. Yeah. Well, well, I'm curious where you fell on it. I, I said that I would the, rather have Kyron's side. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I was still with Kyron's side. Given the situation. I agree. Yeah, yeah that's where I was at. Yeah, so that's what like, I I, I want. I would rather have Eckler for my team. Oh, me too. <laughs> but at the same time. It's hard for me to say that because, like I said, I was put in a position where I could have gotten a player very similar to Eckler with mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson if I had only traded away Brock Purdy, who I don't think is very far removed from C.J. Stroud in terms of mm-hmm. what I believe that they'll be for the rest of the season. So literally, with the opportunity presented to me like in my inbox, I turned it down. So yeah. I, I mean, can I say think... that I would I would like Eckler if it were my team involved in this trade, mm-hmm. but in reality, I turned down a, a, a similar deal. I think the difference is there's the JJ injury that clouds. Right. Kind of, yeah. That, that, it, that does. That is a big point or a big difference. Yeah. Uh, all right, but let's touch on the last not Nate deal <laughs> before yeah. we get into the big one to see what what actual analysis is there. But Max and JC, Max receives Tajay Spears and Michael Wilson. JC gets Damian Pierce. Uh, Boatwright, we'll, we'll let you kick that one off. What, what did, what did you think? Fine. He just shrugged his shoulders. <laughs> you guys may not be watching visually. Oh, he just shrugged I his shoulders. <laughs> I, it's, I think it's I, I, Michael Wilson might break out. Damian Pierce might be good again. That's really where I fall on that. <laughs> Tajay Spear, if, if Derek, here's where I'll say, this swings one way for me because if Derek Henry gets hurt, I do think Tajay Spears will be a very good player to have on your fantasy team. The other two guys, they don't do anything for me. I actually, I think that Houston's on bye week this week anyway. I think you're right. I think you're right. I am right because I'm playing Sean and I was looking. I was confused by this move because I just completely out of coincidence asked Max earlier this day before this trade was accepted, "Hey, what's the price on Damian Pierce?" I'm not a big Damian Pierce guy, but I felt like it was my obligation. As a, I would consider myself a prudent family uh, fantasy manager to check on a guy that was drafted relatively early, who I liked last year, 
and just say, you know, just see, hey, can I get him for pretty much nothing? And Max came back to me with five different counter offers that he screenshotted through the IBM Watson feature. These offers involved Jamar Chase, DeAndre Swift, some of the best players from my team. And I said, Max, absolutely not. And then I see that he accepts this trade about two hours later, getting Ty J Spears, a backup running back, and Michael Wilson, a guy that's produced two weeks this season and nobody's heard of him before that. (laughs) So you can imagine my confusion that I was being asked to deal away Jamar Chase as part of a deal where Damian Pierce was the best player I was receiving in return when I saw that Damian Pierce was traded for these two guys. Yeah, I mean, that. Yeah, that that's fair. <laughs> the, that insight is very interesting. I, yeah, there's just not, I think to what you're alluding to is there's just, and what Boatwright, I think outright said is there's just not a lot there. Damian Pierce has unfortunately fallen off the pedestal he was, you know, pre-draft. And like you said, Michael Wilson is a two-week waiver wire pickup and Spears is a backup hoping to God Derrick Henry trips and falls. Right. So oh, I, the trade's fine. Like the trade's fine. It's Pierce fine. is They're probably not going just, to be that good the rest of the season. Yeah. I was just very perplexed given I'm what the sure asking price was for me. Starting. In fact, I don't think he started Pierce this week. He picks up Pierce. I don't think he made it. In the yeah, JC, line. I don't think he started him. And yeah. I don't blame Pierce? him for not starting him because Pierce hasn't been good this year. Yeah, no. So, but then again, why make the trade? Let me just like throw this out there. <laughs> this trade was so like, it's so shocking. I, I, it was so under the radar. I didn't even know it happened until this podcast right now. Like, it's one of those it. trades that fits the bill of like, you could go without seeing it and it would be of no consequence to you. You could tell me today that Damian Pierce has always been on JC's roster. I, I would probably would have believed you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> again, yeah. not to knock if again, get your guys. I will, I w- we're making our, you know, armchair analysis here, but I'm five and seven and, don't know anything about fantasy football so (laughs) and and to defend them a little bit right i made a few trades early on and i know the big one was waddle for puka but i also traded james connor connor for jerome ford and gabe davis that i felt like i needed to make to try to like save my season Mm -hmm. right so like there is something to be said for like throwing a hail mary on a couple guys if you feel like they are worth the hail mary I'm not going to pretend that I feel like Michael Wilson and James, or excuse me, Damian Pierce are those guys, but you know, at least Pierce I'm has shown it. I'm an idiot. So like, yeah. Hey, between the three of us, we have a 23 and 13 record this year. So I think we have some credibility. Thanks for propping us up, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> it's seven and five. percent. Right? But I drag you down. Nate's propping us up. <laughs> That's true. Um, all right, let's get to it. Let's do it. Uh, I know you've been wanting to talk about it. I'm going to leave it up to you, Nate. Do you want to talk about this trade first and then we can speak on it? Or would you like to do it the other way around? I will call it as I see it as briefly as I can. Okay, cool. Max had a, a, an astounding quarterback room that I think was only rivaled Real, by just a... Just for those who maybe somehow missed it. Just recap who's involved. Oh, oh yeah, sure. So, <laughs> yeah. so I traded away Kirk Cousins, Brock Purdy, DeAndre Swift, Darren Waller, Curtis Samuel, Zach Charbonnet, and what I got for Max was Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Saquon Barkley, Tyler Higby, and Ty J Spears. 
So, so the, what originally caused me to reach out to Max with any kind of offer, I sent the tweet in the group and I said, Hey, I'm going to reference this on the podcast. It was a tweet that said, Darren Waller said that he should be fine to play on Sunday. There is more concern over Saquon Barkley's status. Uh, something to that effect. And it was a, a video clip of, of an interview with Saquon Barkley that was essentially implying that he didn't know if he was going to play. So that caused me to reach out to Max because I knew that Max couldn't afford to sit on Saquon Barkley all weekend because it was a Sunday night football game and then potentially be screwed with his season on the line. And so I think I originally reached out offering something to the effect of Brock Pur- <clears throat> Brock Purdy Derek Henry and Darren Waller for Saquon Barkley, Justin Herbert, and Tyler Higby. I think that that's what I originally offered. And from there, Max said, "Like, no, I wouldn't want Derek Henry. I would rather have Joe Mixon." And I said, "Okay, well, I'll do Joe Mixon if we do a full QB room swap. So I'll include Cousins. You put in Burrow. We'll make that deal." And he goes, well, no, if I did a full QB room swap, I would want DeAndre Swift. And I said, well, if you're going to keep adding to the value from my side, I'm going to keep pulling a little bit back from your side. I said, in that case, if if you don't want Derrick Henry and you want my best running back instead in Swift, then I want his handcuff. I want Ty J Spears. And so that's how we really started lumping in at that point. It was like three or four extra players because at that point the conversation became like, okay, that's fine, but what are you going to give me for Spears? And we ended up settling on Curtis Samuel and Zach Charbonnet. But all that to say, that is how the deal grew to 11 players. But at its core, what I saw it as was Max was, of course, taking a QB room hit in terms of upside, but still getting a very stable quarterback room. I think both Purdy and Kirk Cousins were top eight quarterbacks at the time of the trade. and up to that point and before this weekend had no given no indication that they would not be stable moving forward. Um, so he was taking a little bit of a hit, but still taking on a very good quarterback room, a very stable quarterback room and maybe taking a little bit of a downgrade at running back. Although at this point, I'm not even sure that you can argue that Deandre Swift is worse for fantasy than Saquon Barkley. And as much as I don't believe in Darren Waller, is going, or I don't believe that he's going to meet the price that I drafted him at. I think that he's still better than a streaming tight end. Then what this trade simply was, was Max getting more certainty for this past weekend by taking Swift in and shipping Saquon out, getting more certainty in his weekly lineup spot at tight end with Darren Waller over having to stream, all in exchange for taking a QB room downgrade going from Burrow and Herbert to Purdy and Cousins, who I think essentially are just discount versions of those two that he dealt away. So it's a huge trade. I know some people have an inclination to say, oh, so many players, such a bad trade. But I think that the situational context justified the move for Max and justified me being opportunistic to offer this type of trade to Max. And I think that that's why it worked and ultimately was accepted. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I made my thoughts known. I thought it was a fine. Like, I, I didn't look at either side and say, "Damn, that person got hosed," right? Like, I, I think that it was like I favor your side just a bit, mate, because I would rather have guys pass their bye week at this point. It's really what it boils down to for me, you know. Like, uh, that's and yeah. that's fair. That's a fair point to raise. 
I, yeah, I mean, and truthfully, that is the only. But like we talked about, Max doesn't really care about that because he needs to survive until cousin and Purdy's bye week, right? So like, I, I probably wouldn't be upset about either side of this. You know, I, I like Barkley, but I'm not like in love with the guy in the sense that like, oh, I want Barkley. You know what I mean? Um, I probably would have been content with Swift. So like, I, that's where I'm saying like, the only thing that really gets me onto your side is I like having. Um, my bye week or my bye week past at this point. Um, because I I agree with you. I think if you cut this down to the the, the root of it is you are giving you are getting Barkley for or yeah you are getting Barkley and a slightly better QB room for stability that you're giving Max. Honestly, I think I think the way that you can look at it is that I paid I I. Paid Swift and Waller. I went from Swift and Waller as a package duo to Barkley, which the total value of going from that duo to Barkley, I think, is a downgrade. I don't know if you guys agree. I think I think you would rather have. Assume that you don't have a tight end. Would you rather have Swift and Waller or just Saquon Barkley? I mean, I think generally, yeah. I mean, unless I'm rostering like, you know, one of the top tier tight ends, then. Then you probably have the duo, right? And I'm not even saying that from a bias, let me defend my trade standpoint. I just think that that's generally, people would take Swift and Waller over Barkley right now. Um, And that was the cost that I paid to upgrade my QB room from Purdy and Cousins to Herbert and Burrow. Now, I think that that's where people might have a very different view of this trade, is depending on how big of a gap you see between those QB rooms. But at the time of the deal, they were both top eight quarterbacks, Cousins and Purdy, that was. I don't really see, and I know that Burrow, or excuse me, that Herbert is QB1 and Burrow's been bad. I don't see anything, like, I I see this as a side grade with maybe just the, the smidgen of an upgrade for you and Herbert. Um, but I see this as a side grade at best in your QB room, and maybe I'll be, think? be wrong. Well, I, maybe I will be wrong long term for this, but I tend to favor QBs on. God, I and I know that we're gonna come back and be like, but Herbert's on a good offense, and I don't really necessarily think that's that true with the loss of Mike Williams. But I tend to favor QBs on like winning rosters, right? Unless they have some sort of athletic upside. So, like, I'll take Purdy nine times out of ten over a guy like, I honestly, over a guy like Herbert or Burrow who is kind of struggling just because I trust them to throw the ball and then score. That's a hot take. It's hot over here. That's a hot take. It's hot over here. Are you, so, so, but right, I have to ask because I know, or at least I've picked up on that you like to play devil's advocate on the podcast. You like to take the you sometimes you like to take the opposition point of view because otherwise it won't be shared or argued for. Is this one of those cases? No, I think that my 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 perfect QB room out of these four players is an amalgamation of both. I want I want Herbert and Purdy. Would be stability with the upside kind of deal. Stability with the upside kind of deal. Yep. Yeah, that's. I think that's. I think that's a fair stance. Like I like Cousins a lot this year because they throw the ball fucking five thousand times a game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Now that's probably gonna drop because JJ's hurt, but still they throw the ball to Alexander Madison because that's how they give him the ball. Um. So Carol, I made I made Boatwright swear to the Holy Bible that he was just telling us his true his true opinion, his true thoughts on the trade. I want to hear your true thoughts, not the. 
take the middle neutral ground, be nice to Max or be nice to Nate. I want to hear what you thought my, at the time my, of the deal, my, what you think now. My truth, are you talking about me? I'm talking about cows because I think we know where you stand. Okay, you, you're welcome to close close up what you were. I thought you were talking about me still. Go ahead. So this, I, I want to make sure that this is like my my viewpoint is understood. Is that this is with the perspective that I illustrated early on, and that we understand that certain players have established history. If you show a skill, if you show you have a skill, you own that skill, right? I am just considering this year. I really don't see a whole lot of value disparity on either side of this deal and i know that that might not be the popular opinion within you know um you know within the league i get obviously you get spears you have the handcuff that's great right that's that's a good pickup for you um i and probably would prefer even just one for one to have him or charbonnet just because charbonnet hasn't shown anything even no matter the draft capital that they spent on him but burrow you know, Bur- we, we saw Burrow start to have a good week, and then he kind of, you know, like we said, flattened off. I am worried about the risk of Joe Burrow. I don't know if it's injury-related because he has the, had that consistent history with that, that thigh and leg injury. I am worried about him returning to form. Now, he is a late bloomer. He's always – every year he starts a little bit slow and then still throws for five, 6,000 yards. Like, still turns into the guy who, you know, goes to Super Bowls. But I was surprised because you and I have had multiple negotiations surrounding your quarterback room prior to this deal. And I always thought that you valued them as top 10 guys. And I think I I did. I truly did at the time of the trade. So to move off to top 10 guys who have been as steady as they are, I haven't looked at the stats, so I don't know how many floor games either of them have had. But I can't imagine it's more than the floor games that the quarterback room you just picked up are. Strictly speaking, are they probably better fantasy talents? In the real life talents. Or no, both. both pro- yeah, both. Uh, wait. Oh no, I, I'm talking. Oh, sorry. hold on. Let me finish my sentence. Justin Herbert and, and Joe Burrow are better, strictly speaking, right? Like, yeah, real life and fantasy. And, uh, but consistency wise, and the risk that you're taking on, especially with the Burrow side of it, I actually think I probably at the moment. For you would rather have the quarterback duo you have. Um, I would rather have have Swift now over. or had before the trade. Had before the trade, I would rather have. Okay, the so you agree with you agree with Boatwright? Yeah, oh, I agree for with the, Boatwright for the QB room the, strictly speaking. QB room strictly speaking on that. Okay, but I think for the same reason and rationale because Barkley that has a history of injuries, high ankle sprain, and has not shown the production to be able to stay on the field to be consistent. I would rather have Swift. Um, and I would rather have Waller than Tyler Higby. So I, I actually think just looking at the trade now, team composition can affect this. I like Max's side a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Cause you just now, named all totally four major piece. You just named all four major pieces from yeah. both sides of the deal. Waller, right. you'd take over Higby. Mm-hmm. Swift, you'd take over Barkley. Hurdy and Cousins, you said that you would take over Herbert and Burrow. Yeah. From that standpoint, it sounds like both of you say, Max wins the trade. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally okay with that. Because, well, not not just because, mm-hmm. but I think that juxtaposes the, the, the sense that I got from people in the immediate aftermath of the trade, which was, like, gross. Like, he can't keep getting, like, Kyron sent Jesse Pinkman. He can't keep getting away with it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I was thinking to myself, like, yeah, I feel great about this deal 
because of the position that my team is in pre-making the deal and mm-hmm. where I think that the deal can take me moving forward. But like, guys, look at the trade. Like it's, it makes yeah. sense for both teams. Like it's not a bad deal just because there's a bunch of players involved. The thing that I will say to, to juxtapose my own opinion is that you have way more upside. All three of yeah. you or four of your major players have way more upside, especially the quarterbacks and Barkley, that if they come back and are the players who they've been or even close to the players that they've been, and Herbert's still, he's QB1, or at least he was after before last week. Points per game, Herbert is the QB1. Yeah. You you have all of that upside. So I, I, it's not like it's a blowout. It's not this big thing. I just, if you're going to parse hairs, I think, and you're going to split hairs, I think that, for me, I fall on the max side, but that's with understanding that I I want guys who have shown it and aren't carrying the risk. And that's my own personal like opinion as a manager. I don't know about you. Well, I, I think I would add to like I was waiting for you to make a move on Waller because Waller <laughs> is just value sitting on your bench, right? Like and if I know you like where I like this move for you is that you turn Waller, who is basically nothing, right? on your roster because you're playing Laporta into Barkley, who I do still kind of like more than Swift, right? Like I, I still worry about Swift. Maybe I shouldn't, but I, uh, I think that it would be appropriate to pull a segment that we planned for later in the episode up and just quickly lump it in with this trade talk segment. Sean, you have trade approaches in just our Mm -hmm. general thoughts for each of us personally forward trading and and sean boatwright you bring up waller as a guy on my team that you were waiting for the shoe to drop you were waiting to see a deal that i made where darren waller was involved and so was i but i think where people got it confused max in particular up until this trade was i'm just going to keep asking for nate i'm just going to keep asking for a lot from nate case in point the damian pierce offer that he sent me involving jamar chase and I think that certain people, not specifically Max, but a certain type of fantasy manager can get into the mindset of, oh, this guy's team's so good, so I'm going to charge him 120 cents on the dollar compared to this other team that's not so good. I'll just charge him fair value. And I think that that's where people get my trading philosophy confused, which is that team context is everything. Uh, in Max's case, it's okay to sell somebody for 90 cents on the dollar when the formula is not working. I did that last year when Sean Cowles and I made a trade that won me the league. And I don't say that's a brag. I really got fortunate for it to work (laughs) out to that extent, but it really worked out. And I sold at probably what people would say is 65 cents on the dollar. Then, I mean, it got harsh comments to the effect of worst trade in league history from my brother. Who's a proven winner in this league. Uh, team context is everything you got to make trades and value guys based on what your standings position is what the bye week situation and the health situation is for the guys on the rest of your team and to, to bring this all back to darren waller and tie it in a bow for my trade approach is i'm not gonna deal a guy away this is something that you said earlier sean cowles just to deal him away I'm not going to give up Waller for less just because I'm starting Laporta now. I'm going to wait for the right deal that fits the context of my team and that I feel is going to give me a better chance to win it all 
regardless of whether Waller is starting for me or not. I'm not just going to give him away or trade him away just because I can and I'm not starting him anymore and it's no consequence to my actual starting lineup whether Waller is on my team or not. No, I'm going to wait for the right deal that improves my starting lineup and eventually I found it. Yeah, I, I, I think that maybe hit the nail on the head. I want to walk away, even if I'm giving up the best piece, I expect to improve, right? If you want just, let me just make up a guy, um, C.D. Lamb, right? I expect to get something back for Lamb that is not comparable because I'm not an idiot, right? But like a, a downgraded Lamb, and then generally speaking, I would want somebody that is an improvement somewhere for my team, right? That doesn't mean I expect to get back, you know, Stefan Diggs, right? If you want Lamb, if I'm getting Diggs, I expect to have to give you back an improvement somewhere. Right. Because it doesn't make sense for me to just be like, yes, I will take downgrades across the board so you can have CD Lamb. Um, so when I look at trades, that's what I look for. Alternatively, if I'm trying to, to buy into a better player, my offers typically consist of a downgrade at like, if I'm buying CD Lamb, maybe I offer, I don't know, let me just, Christian Watson, and then I send over David Montgomery. Drake London. <laughs> yeah, right. David Montgomery, right, who, when healthy, is an upgrade to your RB room, a downgrade to my, or your wide receiver, and I upgrade into a higher tier or higher ceiling wide receiver, right? I probably wouldn't do that exact trade, but you get the picture I'm painting, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say if you wanted a soundbite from Nate on his trading philosophy, it is that in all cases, team context takes first priority, Mm -hmm. fair value takes second priority. And I Mm -hmm. think that that's where a lot of fantasy managers get it backwards. They worry about, oh, is it the right value? Am I getting enough? That's always Mm -hmm. the first priority for most fantasy managers. When I think that that needs to take a backseat to team context always in every negotiation. Well, so like that's why I haven't reached out to you on trades this year <laughs> is because I don't feel like anywhere I can offer enough value that it would be worth it for us to make a deal, right? Um, and I'm sure if I really I don't take offense down, to that, that's what? you being aware. I don't. I said no. I don't take offense to that. That's you being aware, right? Like. I mean, maybe there was a time when Richardson was still healthy, like he would probably be somebody, but I wasn't going to move Richardson, right? Like, <laughs> Staunchly. Right. You've right. said every week. <laughs> I know. I just want to be clear. I'm still not cutting him. I will take three QBs into the playoffs, Nate. I'm going to break the rules. So Richardson You're assuming is still... you make playoffs. Well, I should, I should make playoffs. I don't think I'll go very far. But... Um, John Cowles, do you want to quickly throw us yeah. your your trade mentality would, approach? Except if you look at the agenda, you two have basically said all three of my major points. <laughs> it's that that's fair <laughs> because I, I do feel like, and I not to sit here and be critical, that sometimes I receive offers where someone did not look at my roster, or at least mm-hmm. in its full context, because I'll look at an offer and maybe you want player A. And you're offering me player B, which is a downgrade, clearly. And then you're like, oh, you can have these two other pieces. But if you looked at my roster, you'd see those two other pieces don't start. Those two other pieces. are never going to make it into your lineup. Yeah. The, and, and again, that's a narrow kind of view of that trade. But it, it's, it goes to the general sense that when I'm looking to make trades, I look at both sides. What does yeah. if, if we swap these players right now, like I hope we will, what does it do for you and what does it do for me? Um, 
and you know this might i think we all want to we all want to win a trade right i think in an ideal situation you know while the reality is aside we always want to feel like we came out better of a trade than you know where we were before we made it i but i feel like you know at times that that consideration maybe kind of what you were hitting on about the value is the only thing that is the is the thing that is looked at the most important i feel like the need to win a trade sometimes outweighs the sense of a trade sometimes when i'm doing and it's not just this league like i'll I'll, this is across all my leagues that i play in at all times i'll get an offer and because i have my perspective and i'm looking at for my team i'll look at this and go what (laughs) yeah you know yeah and I mean, some, I mean, there are other trades on the outside of it that you would look, I traded the trade I made with Boray in the keeper league probably doesn't make sense just based on value with Lamar. I sent him Lamar and he sent me best Josh Jacobs, but I am stacked with top tier QB, QB talent and I have yeah. no running back talent. So you should have hit I, me up. I need a quarterback <laughs> and I have running backs galore. <laughs> I had all the good running backs. <laughs> I think I had Mark So do I. So yeah. do I. Yeah, but I don't think you have a need a QB. You have three startable QBs. That was the problem. I do, but none of them are studs. <laughs> because I looked at the <laughs> roster. Richardson had just gotten hurt. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was it. But but just in general, I, I think that you guys kind of touched on it. That those are the and approaches I'm, that I try to have. By the way, with. I'm willing to accept growth from others because I've gotten the same kinds of offers that you're talking about, Cowles, where you're mm-hmm. like, what the hell was this guy thinking? Or, like, was he thinking at all? Did yeah. he look at my roster at all? Why would he think I would want that? Sometimes it's from managers that maybe this is the first or the second or the third time that they've ever even sent me an offer, period. I'm willing to engage more kindly with that manager and give them grace and, and space for growing pains, if you will, learning how to send offers, learning how to negotiate, than I am a seasoned veteran. Which, like, I would say, Boatwright and Nick are two good examples of guys that if they sent me a piss poor offer, I would tell them, like, dude, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. Sometimes I'll send out an offer, like, while I'm like, taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is really bad. I need to cancel this. Like, what were I thinking? But sometimes you get offers like Eddie trading me Keenan Allen for Corey Davis. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you do favor, get that. I yeah. will slam accept before right. you can. Ex- so, and I understand why those offers are sent. I absolutely do. And yeah. I also think that those offers are less as the league has gone on. I really think we've noticed a huge drop off in trading as of this point throughout the league, just in general. And I think it's because us as a league are becoming better and the margins are becoming slower. So you're there's less opportunity for, I don't want to call them bad trades, but maybe higher variance trades to happen. And so I think everyone's just trying to find the little nugget and try to always get the best piece because they don't want to look like an idiot, um, especially because of how competitive the league has gotten. Also, sure. we review every single trade on this podcast. And nobody <laughs> wants to be the guy that's like, I don't know what the fuck Sean was thinking on this. Yeah. Right. yeah. I apologize. I have a potty mouth and I need to stop on the podcast. <laughs> we mark it explicit. You're good. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I don't know, Ray, Nate, why don't you wrap it up with the trade talk and then we can go and look at what the league was and if we can what scores look like. I actually have nothing further. I was going to say you put a nice bow on the, on the trade talk segment and I'm ready to uh, quickly go through matchup review yeah. and preview so that we can get to my power rankings. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we uh, we got some golf in the morning. Uh, Boat right and I are taking a couple of days off to go down to North Carolina and golf, so we need some sleep. So we're gonna yeah. probably yeah, we're gonna cut out. Here. I was gonna say we can we can cut out the uh, the the very last segment and maybe maybe Boat Ride's hot takes. I think we've yeah, all maybe had enough of those. All right, yeah, then we'll cut. So we'll those do too, we'll do we'll, preview we'll... review and and hot, uh, power rankings. And all right, and so let's this just fly out. through the review for for the week then. Um, so first matchup was Max versus Nick. Nick takes the head-to-head win, one thirty to one fifteen. Both guys take a median loss. Nate, anything jump out to you? No. Um, I I think that if I were Nick, I would not be encouraged by this first perform. Like I know that he's on probably a little bit of a high because his hot take paid off. That. Ritter and Derek Carr outperformed Mahomes and Baker Mayfield, but I still wouldn't feel any kind of pride or feeling of comfort walking away with a 130-point performance. And a median loss. And a median That's loss. It. Yeah. I, I think generally, I think we all kind of take that similar assessment that, yeah, fortunately, when you score that low and then you're both your quarterbacks pop off, that's... Not not maybe the greatest sign, but we'll see. Maybe he'll turn it around. Uh, next matchup was JC taking on Boatwright. Boatwright, you take just another mediocre head-to-head win, 118 to 116. You both take a median the loss. Yeah, we started off with both of those here. I don't know, Boatwright, any thoughts before we throw it to Nate? I'm convinced that I play to my opponent. I'm going to play you, Nate, and it's going to be a one-point game, and I'm going to play JC, and it's going to be a one-point game. <laughs> I uh I was rooting for JC in this matchup. I'm not gonna lie. That's all right. I don't. I'm not insulted. JC by it. and I are what you two are to each other. So you mm-hmm. have to understand that I want to mm-hmm. see my boy get a win mm-hmm. and not be buried and be done for the season so early and to lose won. in such heartbreaking fashion. Yeah, dude, tough, he should have seen. Allen put up like 15 points, which I know if he, he had a bad game. A normal week, like I would have been toast. Yep. Yeah, so. but Bert, you pull it out on that last CD Lamb catch, <laughs> yeah. running out of bounds. Um, but yeah, not much else there. We'll uh, slide on to the next one, which was me taking on Damon, and as predicted, Damon gives me the whooping, uh, one sixty-eight to one forty-two. But both of us, luckily for me, just as I am the cutoff, take median wins. Nate, what did you glean from this one? Uh, Damon's team is legit, continues to impress, continues to give reliable production in, in like an, not only taking a median win most weeks, but an upper median win, I guess I'll classify it as. So I very much like what Damien or Damien, Damon has going on. Sean, I think that you're going to be in a dog fight for that back end, like five, six spot all year. I haven't looked at your roster closely enough to say whether I feel it's uh, a candidate for making a major move or looking to make a major move, but I would say any time that I feel that I'm in purgatory with my fantasy roster is generally a time I start to at least consider looking to make a big move. I can't, like I said, I can't say whether or not I would decide to do that. In your case, I just haven't sat down with your roster that closely yet, but always when you're in fantasy purgatory, you know, should you be considering a switch up to see if you can get kickstart anything? Thoughts? Yeah. All right, with another big heavy shark. No, I agree with you. Um, I, I mean, Nate, I came to you what two weeks ago and was already looking to make a big move. We never got anything on the table, but I think that I'm fully 
aware that that is something that I'll be doing. This is if, if this is me announcing it to the league, then so be it. Um, well, Sean, but... you know why we didn't get anything going? Why is that? You said uh, I forget what it was. I think you said I'm looking to make a big move. The pieces I'm willing to put on the table are Danny Dimes, Debo Samuel, and a tight end. And uh, I just I wasn't I wasn't buying what you were selling. I said, Hey, brother, if I'm down to make a big move, but I want Jalen Hurts or Tony Pollard or or maybe both. And hey, you were smart to hold on to those guys because they've been the rock for your team to kind of yeah. keep you in that fight for the for the, that sixth spot, but. Yeah, yeah I, I I'm going to be very curious. I mean, you have Cooper Cup back now. Yeah. So I think that that is a game changer. And maybe you need a little bit of time, a few weeks sample size to see where your team settles with him in and, and maybe getting Debo healthy, hopefully. But uh, yeah, back back when we had this discussion, Cooper Cup was still on IR. So there was not a lot to work with if you weren't making Hertz or, or Pollard available. Yep, pretty much so. Yeah, we'll see. But um, moving on right along. Jake taking on, uh, actually, sorry, Eddie taking on Scott. Eddie continues his winning ways, 159 to 147. But luckily for both guys, they take median wins. Um, you know, I know that you you will address in your power rankings, but what are your thoughts here with, with Eddie taking another 2-0 week there, Nate? Eddie continues to surprise, man. I know that he keeps getting it done, so I'm not going to... I don't want to undersell what his team is doing because I think that that would just be disrespectful given Eddie's track record and how much this year has been a stark contrast to that. But I will all I'll say before we get to the power rankings is that his team continues to surprise me with the results. Yep. What about you? That's about where I'm at too. I don't know how he keeps winning. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. <laughs> say the thing. He said what I he said what I wasn't explicitly saying. Yeah, he's a fraud. Like, he's not a real eleven and one. Dude. Yeah, okay, I'm not gonna go that far. I'm not gonna go that far. Oh man. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I I don't know. I'm high on Eddie this year. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I can quantify why, but maybe it's just high from I the start. The so that's I appreciate that you're being consistent with it because you've been high from the start. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. But moving on now, Jake, you took on Nate. Uh, you put up uh, one forty three to ninety nine. Uh, you took the median win, and Jake takes a median loss. All right. Anything that you gleaned from this one? This was Jake and Nate. Mm-hmm. Nate still put up 143 points. Like I don't know what more you want. Like mm-hmm. it was a mediocre week. Jake's Jake's team's in pretty rough shape. Mediocre week, I think, is the point. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Jake's team's in rough shape. Yeah. I mean, so like in my defense, I would have had had uh, Monty not get hurt. That's probably another 20 points. I'm I'm right up there too. Like. I I appreciate this like ghosty competition that you have in your head with me each week. Yeah. Like I feel well, honored to just, be it, to be the Mount not, Everest for you, Sean. It's not you, Nate. It's me looking at you and Damon <laughs> and Eddie. And no, <laughs> you, no. And Damon, you and Damon and saying if I want to win, I need to beat these two people, and I've already beaten Damon, so <laughs> I just need to beat you now. And I think I have you next week. I'm fully prepared to get my fucking ass walloped. So. Well, Damon's getting a free week, free win this week. I'm getting all of my bye weeks out of the way. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I should have played you this week. Yeah, I'm right I there with you. I would have ignored the bye weeks and just said I beat you. 
Yeah. Um, apparently, Nate, you and I took the same strategy because I'm in the same boat you are. He traded into it. He did trade into it. That's right. I did. Partially. Partially, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last one. Uh, Kyron taking on Kevin. Uh, Kevin takes the head to head as the big point for the week 188. He does another. Uh, another huge week out of Kevin beating and uh, Kyron only putting up 106. Kyron, Kevin clearly takes the median win. Kyron takes the loss. I mean, you kind of touched on it earlier, Nate, but what about the, another big performance out of Kevin's team? Yeah, I don't know if I... See, this is the... Kevin's team confuses me because I don't know if I was spot on, right on the money, when I gave my thoughts on his team a few weeks ago with Boatwright on the podcast where mm-hmm. like I said, like I feel like he's like a fake boom team where it's not going to be a consistently good lineup. And yet he's scoring, you know, he scored, I think close to 200, if not more than 200, a few weeks ago after I, or right before I said that scored 188 this week. Mm-hmm. And yet he finds himself five and seven in seventh place overall in the standings. So like, oh. I feel like that was the right call at the same time. Any team that can score 190 more than once, I'm like kind of scared of, I don't really know how to feel about Kevin's team. I, the thing for me is, is that he's put up the most points across the league so far, but he, he's got Damon yeah. by 0. 0.2 points, right? Uh, but he's also had the most points scored against him. Uh, yeah. So far. So I, I think that he's for real. Which was not my take. You, even when you can, I was messaging with Bo right after listening to the week three podcast yet, and I kind of disagreed with the the assessment that I was like, I'm not sure that he's for real. And then he goes and and does what he's done the last couple of weeks. So at this point, he's a contender for me to. If there's a guy that's going to replace Eddie, because apparently Bo Wright says he's not a real team, uh, Kevin's probably the guy that he think- just has to get a right couple of matchups and he'll hop into that playoff spot. I think the problem is you're just looking at the numbers and not looking at the individual weeks. The weeks that Kevin got those points against, Mm -hmm. he got blown out of the water by like 60 or 70 points. So like that's 140 points that he has against him. Like I I just actually Mm -hmm. won't like step through it. So like... um, Well, against me, he left a ruled out Deshaun Watson in his lineup. Yeah, it's not. I don't think it would have made a difference that week, but right, it's those not are the kinds of mistakes you can't make scorer, as a team like, on the fringe. It's not that he's been a high scorer that just keeps getting unlucky. He just got boomed a couple times and like really lost. Right. Um. So you know, I, I, while I agree, like this one, uh, when he lost to Damon, it was one seventy nine to one thirty. It's a forty nine point difference. Right. So like, I think that that's a little bit of a misleading metric for me personally, and I I tend to agree with Nate. Um. I also don't think, and I'm going to be proven wrong, that Phelan can keep up what this is. He's going to turn to dust here at some point. I don't know. I, I, I disagree it, Maybe with it's that, the but... same volume argument that we gave to some of the RBs earlier on, like Kyron Williams. I know he's an older man for the NFL, but I, he seems like the only viable target in a Carolina offense. So, Chubba I, Hubbard. I, Chubba, I, Chuba, Chubba. Whatever. But, you know, wide receiver-wise, we'll see. But I, I don't know. I think time will tell where Kevin actually ends up. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to say. So I don't fair. know where you guys want to take this to close it out, but I was thinking I can do my power rankings, and then we can do the we can give our picks for the, matchup, the mm-hmm. matchups sure. upcoming and take it, it out from there. 
Yeah. All right. So, so I'm, I don't, I don't have anything prepared for this. I'm going off of the cusp and more so than I did after week three, when I was on with Boatwright, I think I'm going to factor in recent performance to these power rankings, uh, because a total lineup is a little bit larger of a sample than I should say a total lineup over, over six weeks is a larger sample than what I would give credit to back, back after week three. So all that to say, here are my power rankings. I believe I had Damon in the number one spot in the first set of power rankings. He has not moved from that spot for me, and I'm not ranking myself uh, once again. But Damon will come in at number one for me. Number two, this is where I just don't feel good at this point ranking anybody. I think it's a very big hodgepodge because, of course, you have Eddie sitting at 11-1, and one, but I don't know that his team I feel a lot better about than, say, some of the guys behind him. I'm not going to put Eddie in the second spot. Instead, I am going to say that Kevin is going to slide up for me at number two. I think that my take was good on him back on the on the previous podcast where I talked about his team. But I think, Sean Cowles, you say once you show us a skill, you own it. Mm-hmm. With his team, he's now shown me twice that he can beat any other team in the league. And regardless of the five and seven record, I think I err more on uh, the side that you think with his team, which is that he might just need a couple more of these good weeks. And he's suddenly finding himself to be in a top three to four position. And I tend to agree. I'm just talking in terms of record top three to four position. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks to the talent of his roster being, I think it, it merits a top two ranking. So Damon one, Kevin two, I'm going to say at this point, oh, I don't feel good about ranking anybody. This was your idea, sir. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm going to say number three that I'll go with Sean Boatwright. The Anthony Richardson injury really stalled what I think was going to be a top two roster for me. But nonetheless, I feel good about I feel good enough about the rest of the roster with anchors like Pat Mahomes, Ken Walker, uh, and I don't necessarily know that DJ Moore and Puka on their own each week are anchors. But I think between the two of them, that one of them can be an anchor this week. CD Lamb's a good anchor. David Montgomery is a huge anchor once he gets healthy. Uh, so so Sean Boatwright's the roster is going to come in at number three for me. Number four a big step up for me. It was like seven last time. Yeah. Number four. Oh boy. I'm still gonna go with because I truly believe in the talent. It's not to say that he's going to end up as the fourth best team, but if I were to be picking rosters from this point forward, I still like Max's team a lot, and I'm gonna put him at number four. I think if he made it to the playoffs, this is a team that you would not find yourself pleased to be matched up against. That's the talent level that I see with Max's roster. So he is still going to take, well, I don't think he took a top four roster or a top four power ranking spot for me initially, but he is going to take number four here. Number five behind him. I'm not going to drop him too far because regardless of what my eyes say when looking at his roster, the results have to speak to something. So I'm going to put Eddie at number five until I'm proven otherwise. Number six, so this is, I guess, well, 
if you're not including my team, which maybe isn't realistic, but if you're going to say not including my team, then this would technically be the playoff cutoff spot. Number six for me is going to be Nick's team. I don't love the quarterback room as we've talked about at length, but any team with Bijan, Austin Eckler, and a healthy Justin Jefferson is going to be a team that could probably beat any other team in the league on any given week. So I think that that's enough to earn a top six ranking. Number seven is where it gets even harder to rank, but I'm going to to rank Sean Cowles here. I am not a Dak fan, but he did just pick up a QB1 overall performance this week. And I think that that is exactly the kind of boost that Sean's team needs to really make a climb into a playoff spot. If Dak can continue to be consistent like that, maybe not QB1, but let's say he is a QB1, a top 12 quarterback from this point through the rest of the season. I think that's a huge pick-me-up for Sean Cowles alongside, we already talked about him getting Cooper Cup back, alongside hopefully getting a healthy Debo Samuel and not a donut Debo Samuel as we've seen over the past few weeks. I think that that's that's a pretty good team right there and a team I wouldn't be surprised to see make it into the playoffs at the back end. So Sean Cowles will be my number seven. Number eight, I still like JC's team. I believe I ranked him second or third overall in my last set of power rankings. I think it was number two. Yeah, I'm second. Okay, I still like his team. Not nearly as much as I liked it initially, obviously, if I'm dropping him from second to, I think, eighth. Is that that where we're at in the rankings right now? Okay. I still like his team. Any team with Josh Allen is a good start. I'm obviously less high on his running back room now than I was before when he had both Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker, but I understand that he had to make a move with Ken Walker on a bye week and JC presumably playing for his season back when that move was made. Still has big hitters like TJ Hawkinson and underperforming DK Metcalf, but I still like DK. AJ Brown is obviously great. Good enough to come in at number eight for me. So that leaves three teams left. Uh, As with the last routine, Kyron is definitely going to be my last place team, number 11. This is really not even a running bit at this point. I just think that Kyron's team is dead in the water. I don't think there's enough talent for him to hope to turn his season around. So that leaves two teams for me. There's Scott. And there's Jake. Number nine, I'm going to say Scott. And I give the edge primarily because of the quarterback room. I said before that I'm not a Lamar guy. But, of course, I'm going to like Lamar and Sam Howell, who's really been turning it on over a QB room who doesn't actually have a face anymore with Justin Fields injured. And Jordan Love, who's been super inconsistent over the past two to three games. Uh, I said before that Jake's was a type of team that had a lot of talent, but it was the type of team that scared me, a team that had maybe some boom-bust potential that I didn't like. And for that reason, he's going to slide in at number 10 behind Scott, who's at number 9. So, quick recap. Number 1 for me, Damon. Number 2 for me, Kevin. Number 3 for me, Sean Boatwright. Number 4 for me, I think I had Max. Mm -hmm. Number 5, I believe, was Eddie. Number six was Nick. Seven, Sean Cowles. Eight was JC. Nine was Scott. Ten was Jake. And 11 was Kyron. Any thoughts on those updated power rankings, fellas? I don't know. It's, it's really tough for me to sit here and like gauge things. Um, 
I think the problem for me right now with power rankings is that in terms of talent on the team, I agree with Max at four. And this is just an example, so please don't feel called out if you're listening, Max. The odds of Max even making the playoffs at this point are so like infinitesimally low that it's hard for me to put him at four. Do you know what I mean? Hey, which, that's fair. Uh, which here's the thing: I In my I think power rankings. <laughs> I think it's I think it's different because I agree with you. He's got one of the most talented rosters in the league. It's just like how much does someone's ability to like go farther in the like in the season impact power rankings. Do you, does that make sense? I think what you may be getting at, which I am ignoring, yeah. is factoring in the record with the yeah. roster. Yeah. Like would I rank Max would would I take Max's roster with a two and ten record if we were drafting rosters with their records attached today? Yeah. No. I would not take Max's team fourth overall with a two and ten record dragging it down i would not feel confident that i could turn that team around and actually even get a, a playoff spot right but if right. we're just ranking on everybody has a zero and zero record today fair for enough. the rest of the season that's where i justify putting max at number yeah, four fair enough yeah i'm fine with me yeah i i think that i agree with these ones a lot more than the first ones <laughs> i I, like I, <laughs> I alluded to it earlier but i had some questions talking between Boatrate about some of those earlier pairings, especially the JC ranking it too. Um, that one, that one I had a bit of an issue with personally. That's but hey, fair. These are Nate's power rankings. We're just a facilitator for them. And then we're it here was still to... early. It was still early when I did that first set. It was. I, I think I was low on JC's team just to begin with in general. I think yeah. I pressed that on the podcast. Sean hates JC. You heard it here first. I'm not going to start. I don't need a rival like you and Eddie. Okay. <laughs> I'm just here to try to win some money and play some fantasy football. All right. But <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. But I think with that, I think we can call it an evening, gentlemen. Any... do next week's matches. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're, we're we're next. You're right. You're right. Real that's quick. Right. Real, Real quick. quick. Just, just bang. There you go, baby. So, all right. Uh, I don't think I have it up. I went and pulled it down. The first one's the poop bowl. I'll read them off, fellas. Go ahead, go first. First one is the poop bowl. It's hash slinging slasher versus Morgoth. I'm going to take hash slinging slasher in this one. Yeah, same, same. <laughs> Not much there. <laughs> All right, second matchup: the Shans, Norman Bates versus Babyface. Yep. I think Cows is down a few men this week, including newly right. acquired Dak Prescott and star running back Tony Pollard. So I'm going to take Bo Wright in this matchup. Yeah, I think it's going to be close. Uh, I am taking myself, too, because I just have C.D. Lamb out, and I don't really see Lamb as an integral part of my roster. <laughs> I, I, just the reality of he's 14 points a week. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, that's fair. I, I'll also take you. you, you <laughs> my entire bench looks like Nate's bench. Yeah. Um, I'll mm. I mean, I'm going to take the win because I'm going to be competing with him. I just got to hope I somehow pull a median out of a Cooper Cup boom week. Like, yeah. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> Well, they're playing the Steelers this week, so it's possible. You know what? I'm actually going to change my pick. I oh, pick Cowboys no. to win this matchup. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Leading into this, I was taking Cowboys too, for what it's worth, but I just I got to pick myself. Here, well, here's where I'll say: if Debo plays, mm-hmm. I would pick Cowboys. If Debo doesn't play, I would pick Boatwright. I, I think it's that simple for me. I think the big thing for me is I'm waiting to see how. Um, uh, 
Bilbo Baggins does for the Chicago Bears. <laughs> if he turns into like a checkdown <laughs> machine for DJ Moore in the I flat, think you have a little bit too high hopes of, for DJ Moore while Fields is out. <laughs> no, 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 listen, here's all I'm saying. If all he does is throw to DJ Moore in the flat, I don't care if that's a point per reception. I think your hopes are a little high. <laughs> yes, I agree. For what it's worth, I agree. But we don't have to have any commentary for this next matchup. My team, Bay Harbor Butchers versus Negan. Negan will win this matchup. It's yes. not subject to any opinion. Yeah, I don't think there's any debate there. Yeah. Uh, because I'm actually going to play open lineup spots. Like, I've settled on that. I'm not going to drop any players, and I'm not going to force any trades. Uh, sure. Okay. Fourth matchup of the week, Gustavo Fring versus Pinhead. I'm taking Scott in this matchup handily. Yep, I think that's the same. Fifth matchup, Mr. Bateman versus Cocaine Bear. I'm taking Eddie to continue to get the job done here in this matchup. I'm going to I'm gonna take Jake because I think that Eddie's team is a lot more predicated on Kyron Williams putting up, you know, 20-some points than we want to admit right now. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take, Jake. I'm going to be wrong, but I'm going to take Jake. Have absolutely nothing to do with your personal feelings towards Eddie and his team. Um, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm going to go with Eddie as well, just because I'm rooting for Eddie at this point. Like, keep, keep the, keep it going. You shouldn't arrive and then me. our last matchup of the week, Pennywise versus Dracula. Some heavy mid, heavy hitters, uh, potentially going to be missing from Kevin's lineup this week. Christian McCaffrey is at risk of not playing Adam Thielen, who's been arguably his best player. Well, he has Mostert, too. <laughs> He's had a few big surprises this year, but mm-hmm. Adam Thielen is on a bye is the point. And let's see what Nick's got going on here. I'm going to take Nick in this matchup. I think a lot of it's going to be depend on how Nick's QB room does. If they show up, Nick is going to win. I'm so who are you picking? Nick. I'm going to take okay. Nick. I'm just saying if they show up, he will win. If not, then he I think I'll stay consistent with uh, our, our a, a podcast worth take that the QB rooms are important, um, even with Watson potentially hurt. I'm I'm gonna go with Kevin. All right. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but Wright's tired. He wants to go to bed. So it's we'll, been an hour and forty-one minutes. It has been an hour and forty-one. minutes. a good hour and forty-one minutes. I take it. So, any final thoughts from you two before we wrap this thing up? Nope. No, I've beat my thoughts to death. Fair enough. Well, uh, everyone, good luck. Week seven, we're approaching the midway point. You know, make your changes if you need to make your changes. If not, keep riding that wave, Eddie, Nate. Uh, and uh, for everyone, oh, yeah, fuck you. No, but, like, why? What did he do? He wasn't even here. I meant riding the win- winning success. Bye, everybody. Good luck. Oh, I'm leaving. Dear God. All right. Later. Later. Later.